are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's guest is Patrick Martin. He is a certified cognitive behavioral therapist in Covina, California. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brandon. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to just kind of give listeners an idea of the work you do and um, the kind of clients that you typically see. So let's just start off there. Um, just give us some background on, on who you are and, and the work you do every day. Sure, super. So I am a licensed clinical therapist, LCSW by trade, and I have worked the last decade or so um, through county mental health primarily. So a lot of my clients that I see are uh, Medi-Cal, low income, you know, non-HMO or private pay type clients. And that was the first job I landed outside of grad school. So I went straight from uh, out of the pan into the fire. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> into agency work. And, you know, I still do that today. I love, absolutely love my job with, you know, Department of Mental Health. And um, just because it's some, you know, such a mixed bag of clientele that we see, you know, you go from seeing one person who has maybe schizophrenia to somebody who is more high functioning and, and dealing with uh, employment issues or marital problems or relationship or occupational issues. So anything can walk through the door, which is, which is great experience. Um, but most recently I have um, branched out into telehealth private practice. And so I do that on the side as well. Actually it was good timing because I got into that, uh, right before the pandemic hit. Wow. So perfect timing. Um, yeah. So I didn't have as much of a learning curve, you know, and it's actually been really nice because um, the platform I use is therapy notes. And I did quite a quite a bit of research beforehand trying to figure out, you know, how how telehealth would work because it wasn't something I had done before. So they uh, at first I had to use these third party apps like doxy.me um, that were HIPAA compliant and Therapy Notes now has their own telehealth built in, which is really, really nice. I even saw that psychologytoday.com actually just where most therapists post their their ads um, rolled out their own telehealth. So mm. there's a lot of movement in that realm right now. Absolutely. Well, that is the world we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. um, so that, I mean, that does make sense. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely fortuitous or, I mean well-prepared depending on how you look at it that you decided mm -hmm. to get into this when telehealth was just about to explode um and so actually i wanted to pick up right there so to to get this right you are you have your kind of private practice that's just telehealth right mm -hmm. and then you're also contracted with the department of health i'm actually a full-time employee with department of mental health um they do have contract employees um but that's kind of my my main scene is uh, the full time employment with Department of Mental Health. I see. Okay. And then my my private practice thing is more all you know it's my my own business, 
And uh, well, in California, you actually can't file an LLC as a therapist. So it's more sole proprietorship. But um, but yeah, there's that. And then I am contracted with the Superior Court do, uh, on their PACE panel. So basically that means with a juvenile court. So that means if an attorney wants to recruit you to do like a mental health assessment in the court, they can do that. And then you're actually paid by the court, like by the by the county. But I've only actually done one of those assessments, but it's kind of a little a little side side gig. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, this is actually fascinating because um, pretty much all of the therapists we've had on the show um, either are fully employed by some outside organization. It could be the government or or a different agency of some kind. And then they have their own private practice. This is like a separate group. They have their own private practice. Mm -hmm. So it's usually one or the other. You are actually both. And on top of that, you are contracted as well. So you have three different sources of work, mm -hmm. right? And so I wanted to ask you how, I mean, is that intentional that you built your career to have that level of, um, I don't know, I guess maybe redundancy where you, you kind of, if, if one thing is kind of slow, you have the other thing to help pick up? Um, or was it just, you just happened to, to find yourself in this position? And would you recommend somebody else to go this route as well? Actually, that's a great question because it's actually, I wouldn't say it was fully intentional, but it's certainly my mindset, you know, as I've explored, I would say starting probably about three years ago, I was tinkering around with the, the idea of private practice, not with the idea of having it on the side, but as a full-time gig. And so I was researching people like, you know, Joe Sanok, you know, the abundant practice, uh, Allison, you know, uh, Peru, I think her name is. Um, so I was doing a lot of research on that. And so I, I was originally teasing around with the idea of getting a, you know, brick and mortar place one day a week with, you know, the county that give you, you know, the option of having a regular day off, you know, so you work longer hours during the week. And mm -hmm. so I thought that would be a transition. But of course, in the pandemic. And um, but as I started, you know, exercising that mindset of entrepreneurship, which was a little taboo, you know, as a therapist and even in graduate school, you're kind of taught to, you know, stay invisible to some extent, at least mm -hmm. when you're doing agency work because of the, the, na the sensitive nature of mental health. But then as I started to open up Pandora's box with the private practice world, it's a completely different mindset, you know, because you have to market yourself, you have to put yourself Absolutely. out there, you have to niche down. And so it's a, it's a very different mindset. And then of course that led me into other streams of income and entrepreneurship. So I discovered people like Pat Flynn. Oh, I love you know, Pat Flynn. Smart Passive Income. I love yeah, him. He's, just he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he actually got me into podcasting. And then um, after that, I stumbled on to uh, Sean Canal, you know, Think Media. And of course, mm -hmm. that got my my appetite for YouTubing. And so I, but I had started a blog last year, right before even the podcast. And so the original idea was just to create a, a small side income so I could pay down my student loans, you know, make the payments. And when you're in the county, they have the whole student loan forgiveness program, PSLF. And so I thought, well, I just need a little extra something from somewhere, you know, to make up, you know, the cushion for my student loans. But that's led into this other thing, like you said, where I have these multiple streams now. And, you know, the private practice, the way it is now, it, it's kind of like the private practice because it's very part time. 
pays for my current hobby, you know, as I'm dabbling with things like podcasting and YouTubing where it's not generating income yet, but I'm able to kind of plant the seed there and in the hopes that someday it will, you know, but it, at the same time, you know, in this, in this field of mental health, it's so easy to burn out so easy, you know, to run yourself down. Um, so I, I feel as a therapist, it's really important to continue to stay engaged, find new things that inspire you and that are challenging in order to stay fresh, right. And, and, and motivated in this kind of work we do and find different avenues and vehicles to kind of express your knowledge and, and even, you know, share it and, and learn more. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So actually what, what comes to mind, I think that's an amazing story, by the way. And I definitely can relate to this idea. Well, Pat Flynn talks about it too, where you have kind of multiple things going on at the same time, multiple income streams. Um, you know, well, he likes to think of it in a passive way, but it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be. I mean, it could be it could be fully active, but yet mm -hmm. you have like in your case, your contractual work, your full time employment and your private practice all running at the same time. Um, I think that's that's amazing. And there's there's nobody that's been on the show that does it quite like that. So I I didn't really know that before we started the show. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. So if anybody out there is listening and that has an entrepreneurial type of bent to them, and they love psychology. They they see the value in therapy, but they don't want to give up that kind of, you know, inner, uh, you know, entrepreneur in them. Um, and they don't want to just fade into the background, like you said, which is what kind of mm -hmm. is this hidden, unspoken thing that you're supposed to do when you're a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I, I, I think that's great. And what I'm thinking of is I wonder if there's restrictions in other states outside of California that would prevent somebody from doing what you did in those states. Are you aware of any? You know, I'm not. I haven't practiced anywhere but California. Um, my guess is, though, that if you're if you're going to do any kind of private practice, I think in some states you are required to file like an LLC. But I don't think that would preclude you from also doing agency work unless unless you're working for like maybe a private like a group practice or something. And they had like a non-competing, mm. you know, contract, right. non-competition contract or something like that. But I think, you know, the longer I've been in this field, the, the more I, I'm aware that it's not uncommon for it's almost like a necessity to have you know something on the side or private practice or other streams of income and even in LA county where at least in my experience the salary for a county employee is actually quite high when i compare it to even other you know if you go to glassdoor.com for example you look at salaries and you compare them apples to apples the county is extremely competitive with their their salary and um you know, compensation right. benefit packages. Um, but even with that, it's interesting because the cost of living here is so high that is, you know, depending on what your situation is. And I don't even know if it's as much as a necessity is why wouldn't you, you know? And I think for me, I just didn't understand. Nobody talked to me or educated me about the possibilities and how you can really, you know, wield your degree or your experience in these different, different avenues. And so it's been, you know, part of, part of my passion and, and why I do the blog why I want to, you know, keep building my podcast is to not just share mental health, you know, coping skills with consumers, but also, you know, to help other would-be therapists and uh, even other professionals 
you know, to help orient and prime their mind for their opportunities and options, because I had no idea, you know, I was just jumped in and, and I just wasn't really exposed to what you can do with your degree other than private practice. But I even know what that looked like, how you even start a private practice. How do you get credentialed with insurance companies? Do you want to get, you know, versus cash pay, mm-hmm. you know, malpractice insurance. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, just like, you know, building a website, there's so many things that you have to kind of dive into, you know, and dig around to figure out just to get th- your systems in place. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, thank you for, for sharing your path to, to reaching this point. Um, I, I think the idea of getting a side gig might be a little less common than you might think, at least from the therapist I've spoken to, mm-hmm. because I can tell you firsthand that, I mean, I can probably count, I don't know, maybe two or three therapists that I've interviewed out of, I don't know, 25, 30 so far on the show Mm -hmm. um, that maybe have any other kind of side gig going on at all. It's, it's pretty focused. It's pretty, either you have a private practice or like I said, you, you are employed full time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I don't know, at least, at least from my experience, it doesn't seem to be happening. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that you're showing that there is kind of another way um, I feel like, at least for me, I can speak personally here. If I were to go into therapy, I definitely would want to do it in this way. I would want to have that um, kind of that redundancy. Well, I, I, I think of it that way because sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know if, I don't know, maybe you'll get fired. Maybe your private practice mm-hmm. will be, uh, well, COVID will hit. And then your private practice right. either will explode or... Um, fall apart depending on how you're doing it Mm -hmm. Um, and so having that redundancy I think for somebody that thinks in this kind of way would be good for their own mental health right to know that um, yeah you have a lot of you're you're, you're juggling a lot of balls at the same time but at least you know that if one thing does fail or one thing falters you can continue to practice what you love in a different capacity and devote more time to maybe that other um Maybe it was a side gig, but now that you lost your main gig, the side gig becomes your main gig. So that flexibility is really so valuable to some people, myself included. So I'm really glad that you were able to to explain your system, your setup. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And I, like you said, it wasn't wasn't intentional. It's something I kind of halfway stumbled my my way into as I just kind of explored and kept an open mind but I didn't really know what that would look like mm-hmm. you know I didn't know what that I didn't know what any of it would look like I just kind of learned one thing at a time and you know and there is something about future proofing your career and you know it is a little bit redundant because it's not like you have to learn everything all over again you're just reapplying a lot of the skills that you've already had and you're just kind of repurposing it Right. in different ways and there's a learning curve with the vehicle but not the content exactly that's exactly it um yeah so i i wanted to discuss a little bit about the specific work you do and how it might relate to coaching because coaching is obviously the title of the podcast i mean it's it's more the focus of what the show tends to be about so um you are a cognitive behavioral therapist you're, you're certified in, in cbt mm-hmm. so can you just briefly explain to the audience, um, most of them are probably familiar, but for those that aren't familiar, what is CBT and how, in your view, could it be utilized, at least some parts of it be utilized um, by coaches who want to have their own coaching practice? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the, the longer I'm in mental health and, as you know, since I have a, 
fascination with personal development in general, you know, not, you know, uh, mental health, physical health, business mindset. You know, I listened to these different podcasts. I was actually listening to one this morning with Pat Flynn. And, you know, the more you hear these special guests or experts come on, it just kind of reinforces the idea that nothing really is new (laughs) under the sun. (laughs) It's just packaged and phrased and echoed in different ways. And so cognitive behavioral therapy is not really a new concept and it's applicable to, I mean, you see it pretty much in any self-help book, you know, the, the same model, the same idea that behavior change, you know, is possible, but it takes place, you know, in the, in the same kind of sequence, systematic fashion. So uh, if you take CBT, for example, you know, it, it addresses change through basically three different pillars. You know, one is addressing your thoughts. The other is addressing your behaviors. And the third pillar is addressing your relationships. Um, but the idea is that you can find a point of intervention in any one of those and it's kind of like a cascade. Like if you fix, if you address one area, it's going to improve the others. Mm. Um, and there's the idea that there's a, you know, I think it was Stephen Covey who said, you know, there's a, there's a space between, there's a gap between a stimulus and a response. And that's really what CBT is. It's, it's teaching us how to pause, be mindful, and really think about our thinking, which isn't something that we're really taught. You know, in society or growing up or in schools to actually think about our thinking and where those thoughts and motives come from. Right. It's like the idea between a statement and a question. Right. If you if you think about your negative thoughts, they're most likely going to be a statement and labeling like I am stupid or I, you know, I'm, I'm unlovable. Right. And those are statements, but they're not necessarily factual. But oftentimes we just give a green light to any thoughts that come across our mind as being valid without really even challenging them or doing any kind of reality testing. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this all sounds very, very applicable to coaching as well. Um, And I would assume you would maybe recommend that anybody that did want to get into coaching to at least be familiar with with CBT um, and, and its impact. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, cause I think it's so applicable really. And if, you know, me personally, I feel like therapy is a lot of coach, you know, where therapists have to tread lightly is that we're, you know, technically not supposed to give advice. We're supposed to observe, you know, and give, you know, uh, you know, mention our observations and ask questions. Right. Um, but oftentimes what we're doing you know, the majority of it is coaching because we're trying to find out, you know, where the impairments are and really what do people want and how to get it and how to ask of it from themselves and ask from others in a skillful way, you know, it's the interpersonal effectiveness. And so it goes back to that, the idea that, you know, what is, what's not working and how do we fix it or how do we get around it? You know, um, and that is, in essence, in my opinion, is coaching. And that's really where I thrive as a therapist. That's where I, that's my my jam is getting in there with people and getting into the goal talk. That's my happy place. Hmm. And I have, a, you know, as a therapist, as long as I've been doing this, I have the hardest time like sitting and going in circles, you know, in, in, in the therapeutic process when I can see, you know, what the obstacles are and trying to 
you know, gently guide through guided discovery, help a client identify, you know, what the obstacle is. And because that has to come from within, it has to be that internal locus of control in order for them to address it. But in essence, that's what coaching is. Right. Right. Just, I think maybe in the, maybe in the, in that particular setting of life coaching, people are maybe more receptive to direct advice. Whereas in therapy, oftentimes they're looking to, uh, you know, vent their, vent their feelings and thoughts. And the therapist's job is kind of a way to kind of spread it all out and put it, you know, things back together. So it helps the the client make sense of what's going on. So they know where, what the next steps are, how to get unstuck. Right. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of that initial assessment, maybe the, the, the first session or the, um, the initial consult where you're trying to determine how much of the relationship, at least at the start, would be more therapeutic and how much of the other relationship is going to be more coaching? Because I assume that you have to make that determination very, very early on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You do. And it, it, it comes out rather organically, but I'm, I am very systematic in the way that I do my initial assessments. And it's actually something, you know, I've received a lot of positive feedback on from peers and, and superiors and is that, you know, I do it in such a way, you know, I, I follow the, the typical, you know, line of questions that you would find on an intake assessment, for example, you know, biopsychosocial, you know, spiritual stuff. But I think, you know, the thing is you want to do the assessment in a way that it feels like a natural conversation, you know, and I'm going to be taking my notes or typing, but those are the things I'm looking for. Like you said, I'm, I'm looking for something because you never know what's important. You know, whenever you're doing an assessment, you never know what is going to be important. So even though a question may, you might have a feeling like, like, oh, I don't need to ask this question because that's not the impression I'm getting from this person, but you never want to skip over stuff because it may just be the thing that unlocks their uh, their hangups, right? And that's going to be kind of where you circle back to, you know, in your mind. You say, oh, I need to come back to this. And you're right. Sometimes it is um, for some people, you can, you can get a feel right away for whether this is going to be kind of a nurturing interaction where this person just needs, you know, positive regard given to them, validation given to them, unconditional regard. Um, and whether it's somebody who who is very, you know, type A who needs the actionable steps and that's why they're stuck. Right. Right. Because they're getting in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, I'm always fascinated by, by, I guess, therapist strategies during that initial assessment. You know, you say it's, you do it in quite a systematic way. Um, but at the same time, you're saying that it's um, kind of organic too. So that that's why I find yeah, it. it is. <laughs> yeah, that that no, but that's what. But you're you're right. Is that I think over time, the more experience you have as a therapist, you will be able to pick up on those cues um, in that initial intake that kind of point you in the right direction. Um, and but I think for anybody just starting out, <clears throat> I just wanted to bring up this topic because I do think it is one of the most important aspects. Of any, whether you're a therapist or a coach, you know, that first session mm-hmm. is so, so critical because it sets the foundation for the rest of the of the relationship. And I mean, even if even if your initial assessment is turned out to be incorrect, if you thought that the client perhaps needed coaching, but then it turns out you're able to uncover some deeper seated stuff that 
has to be resolved first. So actually, they mm-hmm. re- they really need therapy more. So even if your initial assessment turns out to to be kind of wrong, you're still setting the foundation um, early on in in that very first assessment with regard to you know um, what what kinds of challenges is the client facing. And um, anyway, I, I just like to call attention to that because I, I do think it it matters quite a bit. Um, so. I, I wanted to end off by discussing something that I think a lot of beginning coaches or, or you know beginning therapists might um, might do well maybe hearing firsthand accounts of and I'm talking about challenges in your own practice so you know it's like the old th- it's like the old uh, phrase you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it's kind of a funny thing to say but I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Um, we we kind of we kind of know the positive sides, obviously, of therapy. It's seeing your client make a transformation, or even just baby steps toward mm-hmm. a better mental state. We know the positive sides of coaching. It's seeing that aha moment, or seeing the client take a step that they might have been hesitant to take before. That's leading them to a more productive and happier life. Okay, everybody knows that, but what we don't know are the individual challenges that every therapist and every coach goes through, which tend to vary from from individual to individual. So that's why I wanted to ask you, what have you found to be the biggest challenge in your career, in, in your practice, and in, in your work in general? And how have you, and how do you continue to work through that? That's a great question. I suppose it depends on context. Um Let's take the agency work, for example, since that is, you know, in your case, it does depend on context because you have so many things going on. (laughs) Yeah, but certainly. um, So agency work has been my my primary, you know, gig. Um, And I can tell you the biggest challenge right off the bat is being able to accommodate the need and feel good about it, because as a therapist, we want to make sure our clients are being attended to. Right. Right. And to, to be able to help them to the best of our ability. And the most frustrating thing I would say about agency work is that there is no cap, meaning the doors never close. In fact, it's a medical requirement that we provide intakes to clients within 14 days and five days for hospital discharges, mind you. So when you have a limited number of staff, but an unlimited number of referrals, you can see how quickly caseloads will rise. Yeah. And, you know, there's, and there's only so many working hours in a week. So the most challenging thing is to make room for new clients without neglecting old ones. And, you know, the idea of short-term therapy is very um, salient. You know, it, it, there's a lot of uh, ebb and flow to it. So it's kind of, I don't know, even if it's, if it's a myth with county, because you, you can try and limit sessions, but then if somebody's in crisis again, you know, you amp them back up. And so I, the biggest challenge as a therapist is time management. And of course, with that comes lag time, which is a term, uh, keeping your documentation up to par. You know, making sure your notes are done within 24 hours of seeing a client while also making sure that you're seeing enough clients or attending to everybody that you can and then choosing, you know, which one of those clients take priority. Yeah. And so there's a lot, you know, and this is I don't think there is any good solution 
you know, to that. I think every therapist has to figure that out for themselves. For me personally, what I'll do with new intakes is I'll give them like six appointments on my calendar to get ahead of my schedule because I'm always booked out six to eight weeks at a time. Right. And so if I'm getting six new clients a week and I only have two days for therapy, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> you know, that and your caseloads are, your, your caseloads are exceeding 150 easy, you know, it, it, and not all of those are obviously, you know, regular therapy clients, but there's, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of things to keep track of and, 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 you know, you do the best you can, but that's the biggest challenge with agency work is trying to make sure that everybody's being taken care of. Well, because you, know? you cannot control the inflow of clients, <laughs> right? That's why it is exactly. such a challenge, right? Got it. Got it. Um, and of course, in your own private practice, you can pretty much control it, right? So right. at least you can oftentimes control- like if, if yeah. you're referring to a private therapist, they'll say, you know, I'm not accepting. Exactly. Cases right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. can cap it. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say has been, because I think most listeners to the show would probably be on the private practice side or at least aiming toward that end. So if you can think back on, I know that you just started it right uh, recently, relatively Mm -hmm. recently, but um, have you, does any particular challenge stand out for you uh, over the past year? I think, especially on the front end, figuring out, you know, how you're going to frame your referrals in terms of your, your flow, like your systems, you know, going from, you know, and and how you're going to uh, handle your scheduling, your referrals um, and keep it all, you know, HIPAA compliant. And I, you know, the same laws may not apply to life coaches as they do to like a licensed therapist. And so those are things to consider, but I, I definitely think, you know, tools are your friend, you know, your tech tools are your friend. For example, like if whatever system you're using to keep track of your records, like I, that's why I love therapy notes because not, not all systems are inclusive. And that includes things like billing, mm-hmm. being able to take credit card payments online, being able to bill insurance at a click of a button. That's a big one, you know, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> being able to um, sync your, your, your like have a client portal that syncs with your email, you know, and, and figuring out, you know, how to use, gmail a suite that's professional that syncs with your software and then on the tech side being able to even set up a system where you know clients can self-book themselves or request appointments on your website you know so it's a lot of that logistical back-end stuff Mm -hmm. that took a long Mm -hmm. time to figure out right because none of that stuff you have once you get those yeah once you get those systems in place it's a lot easier to to manage right so there is the there is kind of the fundamental difference between being fully employed, between being employed and going into business for yourself, where you you have a certain, you give up a certain freedom being employed because you cannot manage your work, you cannot manage the flow of your workload. And I feel like that mm-hmm. is true, not only for therapy, but for a lot of jobs, you know, you're not free to dictate, by and large, how much work you want to do, you are doing the amount of work that needs to be done. And so, um, I know that's a gross oversimplification and there are exceptions, but generally, especially as compared to owning your own business, that is not something that you have a lot of freedom around. Um, now, when you own your own business, when you have a private practice in the case of therapy, there's another set of kind of restrictions, um, if you want to think about it that way, which is that you are now um, 
I guess, and especially when you don't know what you're doing, you are now burdened by this responsibility to figure out the entire back end of everything you're mm -hmm. doing, especially if you don't want to drive your you know, self crazy and pull your hair out with doing everything manually. <laughs> um, I think yeah. anybody that wants to learn a lot about systems and and how to make them work for you, I think Pat Flynn. I keep we keep bringing him up, but he's mm -hmm. an invaluable resource for things of that nature. Um, it's really the only way to get the amount of work done that you feel like you can do um, without getting bogged down in details, which is ironic because to to develop your systems, you need to get bogged down in details at the start. But then like once you have them set up, you know, it's it's much more free flowing after that. You don't have to worry about, you know, manually uh, doing everything on the back end. So um, I think anybody that's ever tried to set up a business with the back end stuff can definitely sympathize with, with this conversation. Um, and it's just something to think about when you are going into business for yourself. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, my advice would be, you know, don't worry about the, you know, don't give into comparative thinking because every, it's easy for us to, to look at somebody else and say, oh, well, that person's more proficient or they have it all figured out. And, you know, the more I, I listen to podcasts and interviews of other business owners is, is it's almost like the same story is like the, everybody pulls their hair out. Yeah, <laughs> it's part of it as <laughs> imposter syndrome when they're getting started and I still do, you know, after 10 years of being a therapist, I have moments where, you know, I don't, I'm like, really, am I, am I doing <laughs> this <laughs> for a living? Do I have anything to say? You know? Um, yeah. And so I, I think there's always just be, be compassionate with yourself, understand that everything's a learning process, but you know, we're planting seeds constantly, you know, um, and anything can be figured out. Right. Right. Yeah. For Leo would stay. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out. Figure outable. Um, yeah. yeah, I actually recently saw that. Um, yeah, I think it's actually you mentioned the imposter syndrome and I had an entire section of my interview series when I was interviewing coaches about mm -hmm. imposter syndrome. I think therapists definitely feel it as well, but there is something particular about coaching that I think makes imposter syndrome even stronger. And I think it goes on both ends. One end is you don't have to necessarily get licensed. You can just take a six-month course and call yourself a coach. You don't even have to take a six-month course. You can not take any course at all and call yourself a coach. So there's that side of it, which it doesn't have as high of, like, as big of a moat, I guess you can say, or as high of a bar yeah. to become a coach. And then on the other end of it, you're not just tackling specific issues like ADHD or trauma or, um, you know, all these very, very specific issues that therapists deal with. You are talking to clients about their life, like just their mm -hmm. life in general, life coach, right? So it's it tends to be a lot more, I guess, um, bigger in scope. The, 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 the picture is kind of bigger in scope. And so both of those things combined, it's it really makes that imposter syndrome so much more acute, I think. And that's why so many, I mean, I can't, I interviewed so many coaches and I honestly cannot think of one that responded to my question with, Oh, imposter syndrome. No, I never had that. Uh, <laughs> it just kind of, it just kind of doesn't happen. So, um, absolutely. It, it's definitely a big issue. Um, yeah, fantastic. Well, that was, that was really, really informative. It's very, it's a very unique, um, interview. I think, uh, I think uh, people that have kind of a similar mindset, uh, cause I, I definitely share that mindset of having, 
your systems in the back end and definitely with regards to having the side gig and having a lot of things going on at once. Um, anybody that is of that type, I guess, would get a lot of value from from the from from what you've shared. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, I want to give listeners a chance to find out more about you and about the work you do. I know you have a lot going on. So where can we mm-hmm. find you online? Well, if, um, one of the easiest things to do is just head over to my website, thementalhealthtoolbox.com. And that's thementalhealthtoolbox.com. And you can just hit forward slash links if you like. And then you'll see all of my relevant links for my YouTube channel, uh, podcast, blog, etc. Um, if you want to find me on YouTube, that's relatively new. Uh, you can just type in my name, Patrick Martin, followed by LCSW, LCSW, and you'll find my YouTube channel and you'll find the podcast uh, just at the Mental Health Toolbox as well. And so um, that's the easiest way to find me. I'm, you know, I am uh, very accessible. You know, I, I, I'm aiming to create my content there for to meet the needs of listeners and readers. So if you have any questions, feel free to use the contact me page there. Um, reach out and I'll be happy to add any concerns, questions to the content calendar by all means. Perfect. I love it. I love bringing all this um, this therapy knowledge, this mental health knowledge to the public. Um, you know, it's it's not just like, you know, this is my my practice website here. You know, you can just book a, a consultation. It's actually you're sharing mm-hmm. all this information with people. You have a, a YouTube channel. Um, I think it's great. I think it's very modern. I think it's kind of the more modern way of of doing things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm totally a fan. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually kind of bury my uh, telehealth services a little bit. I don't advertise it too much because I don't want to take up all my time when I have these other things I'm trying to create. Yeah, so you're that a is busy guy. A challenge. So, <laughs> man, I don't know how you do it, but uh, best of luck to you. Best of luck on your new YouTube channel. I think that's an exciting uh, avenue. And again, I I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you, Brandon. It's been a pleasure. All right, take care. You too. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.